If you do have your Bibles, why don't you join me this morning in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. On Sunday mornings, we've been going through Philippians together. This morning, we going to pick back up right where we left off at the end of verse 13, so that'll have us beginning in verse 14. And if you do need some Bibles, uh, they're available in the aisle, just to remind you of that. The guys have some copies if you need a copy of Scripture. And this morning, we're going to finish up our study through Philippians. We'll go from verse 14 down through the remainder of the chapter and close out our study of the book of Philippians together. So if you're turned with me to Philippians 4, verse 14, would you stand with me? out of respect for God's word as I read our passage for this morning's Bible study. Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well in that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And Father, we ask, as always, that as we open the word of God, that you would help us in this part of this worship meeting just to continue in an attitude of worship and Lord that we would be able to worship in spirit and truth in such a way that your Holy Spirit would give us an ear to hear what he would want to say to this part of your church that's assembled this morning and that your Holy Spirit would help us to see and to hear the truth of your word that Lord knowing the truth we would be set free in a deeper way to serve you more effectively and to walk with you more closely So, Lord, speak into our lives in a personal and a direct way that which you would have us each to hear this morning from the Word of God. Bless your Word and teach us now, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in human existence, two things seem to always remain constant and true. And that is, as people, we are always going to have ongoing need in our lives. And... Our God delights in finding ways to supply our need. I don't think those two things are ever going to change. As people, we constantly have ongoing need in our lives. And God, because he changes not, even as verse 19 shows us, has a desire to supply the need that exists in each of our lives. And our passage this morning deals with that very issue of human need and God's supply. And particularly, as we'll see, 
the primary truth that one of the ways, one of the ways whereby God supplies for our need at times is by directing human beings to give some of the resources that they possess to help others who are in need in their lives. See, the Bible teaches very clearly that everything belongs to God. God says directly in his word, the world is mine and everything in it. The Bible teaches that everything belongs to God and God then simply moves around his resources to supply need accordingly to his creatures and his creation upon the earth. And as people, we need to learn and to exercise the grace of both giving and receiving in proportion in our lives. Now, as we go into our passage this morning, I need to ask your patience for kind of being repetitious, if I can, for a moment. I think it's very critical in regards to understanding the context of what we're talking about here. And in so doing, I need to actually, if I could, restate the context of our passage and repeat a few of the things that I said and shared in our study together last week. In this last section of the book of Philippians, Paul is expressing, as we said, one of the motivators for why he wrote this specific letter to the church of Philippi. In the end of chapter 4 here, we find Paul sending a, a clear, in a sense, thank you note enclosed within this letter you see Paul expressing his thanks for something the Philippian believers had done for him and that is as we read they had sent aid to him multiple times to help care for his necessities remember Paul the apostle had a missionary type lifestyle as a church planter by calling and by calling and God's design for Paul the way the Lord directed the ministry through his life was Paul would often go into new areas. He would preach the gospel. He would plant and establish local churches. He would then stay around for a while. He would pastor that congregation. He would establish the church. He would build up the body of Christ. And then after a season of time, and it was always different, it seems ultimately the Lord would then move Paul on transition him to a new area where he would then repeat the process of church planning once again. And Philippi, we know, was one of the churches that Paul planted. And Paul and the Philippians maintained an ongoing relationship and appears the church of Philippi, when able, sent financial aid to the apostle Paul to assist him and to supply him in his missionary endeavors, his church planning and his gospel ministry. And at this point, we know Paul the apostle in his life is now imprisoned as the result of faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we mentioned last time together, in that day when you were imprisoned, the government in that culture felt absolutely no obligation whatsoever out of their tax dollars to support or to sustain the needs of anyone who found themselves incarcerated. So in that culture, when someone was imprisoned, if it were not for friends and family members who loved them, 
who sent aid or supplied their need for basic necessities of food and clothing and whatever necessities of survival existed, that person would not make it. That was just the way things happened in that culture. So the Philippian believers, hearing that Paul the Apostle had been imprisoned once again, as he had a few times for preaching the gospel, the Philippian believers becoming aware of that sent a financial gift to the Apostle Paul to help care for some of his necessities to help him during the time of that imprisonment. And they sent that money, as we see here in verse 18, directly told us via a representative from their church, a man named Epaphroditus, who would carry that monetary donation, bring it to the Apostle Paul. He spent some time with Paul, visited with him, helped him and assisted him in some ways, and then eventually returned back to the Philippian church. And upon returning back to the church of Philippi, Paul sent this letter with Epaphroditus back to the church as he returned back to the fellowship. So this last part of the letter here is Paul giving thanks for that financial gift that they had sent to him while in prison to supply some of his needs. And before he gets deep into the thanksgiving, as we saw last time in our study together, Paul paused to briefly speak about contentment. We saw that last time. And the reason he was sharing about contentment was not only to instruct about contentment, but it was also because he wanted to indicate something clearly to these believers as he talked about this issue. He did not want them to wrongly think he was asking for anything or was talking about their giving in such a way to manipulate them that they would somehow give to him once again. If you draw your attention with me back there to verse 11, you can sense his heart. He says, look, verse 11, not that I speak in regards to need. I'm not saying these things because I have some need in my life, Paul's assuring them. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and and to suffer need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul wanted to indicate, look, I'm not talking about your giving here and saying thanks because I'm trying to get another gift out of you. That's not, that's not what my intention is, and he wanted to make sure that that was clarified. He just respectfully and sincerely wanted to express his appreciation toward their giving of uh, their resources to help him and also to help them understand God's perspective when we do give of our resources in our lives. So look with me in verse 14. Paul says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared, he says, in my distress. So Paul's both thanking as well as commending them for their generous spirit, which led the Philippian believers to participate in helping Paul during a hard time in his life. He mentions here in verse 14 that he was facing a time of distress. When you look at that word and its original intent, it's a term that refers to being under heavy pressure, under great strain, a time of facing danger or desperate need. And this was the circumstance that Paul the Apostle found himself facing at this season of his life. And remember, Paul was faithfully serving the Lord. He was fulfilling the will of God in his life. I point that out because I want you to understand, Paul was not making poor choices. 
He was not in this distressing circumstance in his life because he had been irresponsible or was being selfish or foolish with his life choices or his money management. Quite the opposite was true. He was engaged in the work of the Lord, fulfilling God's calling, serving the Lord and people, and as a result of him preaching the gospel message faithfully in an anti-Christian culture, Paul then found himself imprisoned as a result of that and found himself in a difficult season in his life. A part of his ministry calling, I want you to see this, involved Paul the Apostle making sacrifices. A part of following the call of God to serve the Lord in his life included for him having to endure some personal loss and to experience some of the distress and challenges connected to those things. And the Philippian believers becoming aware now of Paul the Apostle's distress and the situation that he was in, his personal situation, they become moved to respond. They find themselves motivated to send some financial assistance. That's what Paul's saying in verse 14 where he says, you shared in my distress. And when you look at that term shared, it's that famous Greek word koinonia that we know, which literally means a joint participation, partnering together, or it could be translated sharing together in responsibility. And Paul says this is what the Philippian believers did in his life, realizing that Paul was making personal sacrifices himself in what he found himself doing for the Lord, they decided to participate in what was happening themselves. They decided to get involved. They looked at what was happening and they decided to share in some of the responsibility of the sacrifice for accomplishing the Lord's work. And the way they specifically did this, our text shows us, is they gave some of their financial resources to partner together in God's work through Paul's life. And that giving created a joint participation in what needed to be addressed. It's almost as if you can sense the Philippians thinking, hey, Paul is making a sacrifice in what he is doing, and you know what? We want to share in some of the responsibility of that. Rather than leave Paul in distress, uh, we can participate by helping supply through some of our own finances and taking some of the responsibility for what's taking place through Paul's life. And Paul says in verse 14, notice he says, you have done well in that you shared in my distress. That term done well there literally means something good or that which is beautiful. In essence, Paul is saying you did a beautiful thing when you did that. From God's perspective, Paul says, God looked at that and said, wow, that was such a beautiful thing that you Philippians did. That was such a good thing that you, you didn't have to, but you stepped in and shared the responsibility of what was going on. It was a good thing when they chose to compassionately participate in helping someone who had need financially. And the Bible commends them for having done well. And can I say by way of application for you and I this morning, it is always a good thing whenever anyone shares in the responsibility to care for others when they're in need. And I think specifically all the more folks who are in certain categories like those who are in really sincere need, 
who are facing maybe distress and are lacking some financial provision that they genuinely need for the sustainment and survival of their livelihood. Or I think specifically when there are those who are engaged in the work of the Lord, missionaries or Christian workers, and, and they need to be sustained in such that they're doing. You know, the Bible tells us in James chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 3 that if we possess the world's goods and we see a fellow brother in, in the need of basic necessities, food, clothing, it says, that we should give them the things which are needed. Paul, writing to Titus, one of the pastoral epistles, said this in Titus 3, verse 13 and 14. He said, send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste. It seems they were going out on some journey to do business, but it was connected to church activity somehow. And he says, send them on their journey that they lack nothing. He says, and let our people also learn to maintain good works and to meet urgent needs you know this morning i want to say whenever we responsibly release some of our own resources in such a way that we want to because we sense a responsibility to share in a way to help someone out or to share in the responsibility to supply in some way and then for we responsibly release some of our own resources god looks at that and says you know what you've done really well that's really beautiful that you would do such a thing in regards to what you saw needed to be responded to. And God commends that. God's well pleased with that. Whether it's $5 to assist someone in some way or whether it's $5,000 or $500,000. It's not the size of the gift. It's the intent of the heart that God sees. And, and when God sees us as selfish, greedy human beings saying, you know what, I see a need and I feel a, a, a responsiveness that I want to become involved and participate, God says, that's really beautiful. That's good. You've done well that you did that. And it brings pleasure to the heart of the Lord. We'll see as we go on further here. Verse 15, Paul then goes on to say, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, the area where Philippi was, he says, No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica... You send aid once and again for my necessities. So Paul's indicating the Philippians' unique understanding of the value of both sending and supporting those who are engaged in gospel ministry and missions work. That's what he's addressing here. He's reflecting back to years ago in verses 15 and 16 when he came into the area of Macedonia where Philippi was located and he preached the gospel and he planted and established some churches in the area and then as God did with Paul, the Lord opened the door for him then to move on into new regions and to continue with his missionary activities to plant churches in other territories how when Paul left the area of Macedonia, he says, when I departed from the area of Macedonia, how they were one of, he says, verse 15, one of the few churches that actually became involved and contributed to his missionary work financially. And he commends them. Notice he commends them here in our verses for both sending him out initially as well as for then supporting him continually. 
verse 15, he speaks of how they sent him out initially. He says, when I came there and I ministered and then I departed to the, from the area to go out from Macedonia, he says, look, verse 15, he says, you were actually the only church that shared with me in giving to help send me out to go forward into my next season of missionary activity. So they sent Paul initially, but then they even supplied Paul continually on a regular basis because verse 16 he says even when i was over in thessalonica you send aid once and again for my necessity so beyond that initial gift to send paul out to help him to get going they then repeatedly sought to make sure his necessities were provided for on the mission field and the midst of his gospel ministry in what the lord had called him to do now Important to understand regarding the Paul, Paul the Apostle and his ministry. Paul the Apostle never directly asked for money for himself. He always trusted the Lord to supply. We might see Paul on occasion ask for resources to help others that Paul saw were in need and he had no problem asking for help for others, yet we never find him directly asking or soliciting money for his own ministry. We don't see that. We see Paul doing something different. His style was always to go where God directed and to just trust God to supply him as he went. Paul had a very healthy and balanced view of how God supplied those who serve in ministry, whether a missionary, whether a pastor, whether a Christian worker. Paul had a very balanced view in regards to how supplied for the needs of those who did such. We see that Paul the Apostle knew how to work occupationally as a tent maker and he was always willing to labor to supply his own needs if necessary. And as a practice, we see in the Bible when Paul would go into a new area, he would never ask for financial support. You know, contrary to maybe how things work in the business culture, when Paul was going to take a new venture to, you know, establish a new ministry or move in a new direction, you know, Paul never uh, sought to prearrange some financial contract to make sure he had a solid offer before he went to the new spot, if you know what I mean. Hey, well, I might transfer, but I want to make sure I got a solid offer on the other end before I get there because, you know, I, I, I need food and clothing. Paul never did that. Paul's solid offer was God. His solid offer was the understanding, I have a God who will supply all of my need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And if God is calling me to go, then God will have to do what he needs to do in the midst of my personal responsibility and just the ways that he often works miraculously to make sure that I'm supplied wherever I go that he's sending me. And this was Paul's pattern. You notice that Paul would go to an area, he always went planning to work as needed, at the same time simultaneously trusting the Lord would provide and supply for his needs. And you can see that further in Acts chapter 20, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. However, there were also times that Paul, as he was ministering, would experience where believers would supply financial gifts to help sustain him and support him in the work God called him to do, as we have directly referenced here in our text in Philippians chapter 4. These thoughtful gifts, when supplied by believers, would then meet the need of Paul's daily necessities and would then free him up to be able to devote his full attention 
to the ministry and the endeavors that God intended him to be engaged in. And when those financial gifts were given, Paul was then liberated and he would then devote more time in a more adequate and efficient way to preaching and to teaching and to ministering to people. And he appreciated when this happened. And that's why understanding the value of it, he then upholds that and commends the Philippians for being such to do that, to liberate and to sustain him in God's work. And I, and I think from this section of scripture, we can draw a few applications. The first being this, that when it comes to churches, local fellowships like ours here, lo local congregations, when it comes to local fellowships financially helping to send and to support missionaries and Christian workers and, and any type of gospel ministry, I think each congregation has an important decision that they have to make in that area to either, first of all, engage and participate as we rightfully should or instead to be guilty of refraining and not being involved. And Paul mentions here among some of the churches in Macedonia in his time that no church had shared with him regarding his missionary activity other than the church of Philippi who got engaged and participated in sending him and continuing to supply for his basic necessities. And can I say this morning, may we as a congregation emulate the Philippian example of being a church, a local fellowship who continually sees the value of investing in missionaries, in missionary activities, in outreach and evangelism, both locally in our community as well as internationally and around the world. You know, I can tell you, I've said before, currently our ministry policy has been from day one to invest 10% at least of all that comes in as far as our church income to take 10% of the church income and to make sure that that is going back out the door, not in our operational budget, but back out the door to help in outreach and benevolence and activities of evangelism or to missionary organizations to invest in outreach in other places and then instead to just operate off the 90% that remains of the income that comes in because I believe that's what God wants us to do. It's the heart of the Lord that we would do that, that as a congregation, we wouldn't have to operate on everything that we receive, but that we would have an open hand and be a channel to distribute that going forth. And we intend that to remain a mark of our fellowship. In fact, next week, we want to share with you one of the things the Lord's put on our heart to do in regards to uh, you know, Veterans Day next week to honor our military to send and to get the word of God into the hands of some of our soldiers who are in the line of combat and who are currently serving. And next Sunday we'll, we'll share with you that, that part of our heart and what our intention is to do that out of our church income and missions budget to get God's word into the hands of those who are serving our military so that they can be hearing and receiving the word of God and coming to know Jesus Christ and being built up if they're in a hospital bed or they're serving in combat somewhere. And, and I think it's what the heart of the Lord would have us to do as a local congregation. And in the same way, as Christians personally, as individual believers, I think we should all individually share in the responsibility and the sacrifice of the Lord's work even in the area of financial giving to some extent 
that God has called us all. Listen, some are to go and to serve and others are to send and support. But all sacrifice. Those who are called to go and to serve, to engage in missionary calling or to endeavor in full-time ministry, they sacrifice their lives and they make a sacrifice of maybe their living standard. Others sacrifice some of their personal resources to send and to support such individuals who are engaging in that work to make sure that they are supplied adequately and sustained for their necessities. Romans 10 says, how can they hear without a preacher? And then it says, and how can they preach unless they are sent? 1 Corinthians 9 says, who goes to war at his own expense? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. You know, Jesus said the laborer is worthy of his wages. And that's what Paul's addressing here and commending the Philippians for seeing the value of that and how it brought great benefit to his own personal life and ministry. Well, look in verse 17, what Paul then says again. Verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift. Again, Paul's understanding that what they gave brought value He's expressing thanks, but he says again, listen, I'm not seeking a gift here. He says, please understand, I just talked about being content. Paul says, I'm not talking about your giving and I'm not talking about the topic of giving because I'm trying to get you to give again. He says, I'm not seeking a gift here. Please don't misunderstand. Paul wanted them to sense the sincerity of his heart and to make sure that they realized, look, I'm not talking about the topic of giving to coerce and to pressure you to somehow give money again. He says, I'm not seeking a gift from you. I just told you I'm completely content. He's going to say in verse 18, I have all and abound and I'm full. I'm not after your, your gift. That's not what I'm looking for. Paul says, I know some may do that. Some may talk about giving in such a way not to instruct and help, but to actually get as a result of talking about giving. And Paul says, that's not what I'm doing here. He says, I'm not seeking a gift, but notice he says, I'm actually seeking something for you. He says, I'm seeking the fruit that abounds to your account. So Paul points out what he was actually trying to do was to help these believers learn the value of giving for their sake personally and spiritually. He says, I'm not talking about the subject of giving to seek a gift for myself. I'm actually talking about the subject of giving, Paul says, for your benefit. He says, I'm seeking after, see verse 17, I'm seeking after the fruit for your own personal account. Paul uses a metaphor here in relation to financial giving, and the metaphor he uses is fruit abounding into an account. The point that he's making here is giving is an investment that will result in spiritual dividends. That giving is an investment that will result in spiritual dividends. Paul says, I want to see you receive dividends in your spiritual bank account as the result of God's faithful reward system when you give. See, Paul, as a mature Christian and a pastor called to instruct with God's truth for God's people knew that as they gave, they would accrue spiritual dividends in their spiritual bank accounts. 
It's exactly what Jesus said. Paul wasn't novel with the idea. He's just conveying what Jesus himself taught. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal your treasure, he says. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves break in and steal. In essence, Jesus was simply saying, listen, we cannot take anything with us, but we have the opportunity to send our resources ahead and to lay up in heaven's account. The Bible teaches there is an account in which we may invest into. And God shows us in his word that he sees and rewards, hear me, any giving that any one of us does. I love the story in Mark chapter 12 and it's also in Luke chapter 21 where it says that Jesus sat opposite the temple treasury and listen, it says Jesus saw how the people put money into the treasury in their offerings for God. Jesus sat in the temple treasury. One of the things he did in his ministry is he actually sat at the treasury and he watched how different people came in and put their offerings for God in the temple treasury box. And he watched the rich and the poor alike coming in and doing that and remembered what Jesus commends when he calls the disciples over. He does not commend the amounts that are given. He commends the attitude in which a person would give with. Because remember, Jesus got all excited when the poor widow came in and tossed in two mites and Jesus said, well, come here, come here, did you see that? Did you see that? This poor widow, a fraction of a cent. She said, this poor widow, what a gift. She gave more than all the rich people combined that gave today. It wasn't the amount that Jesus was concerned with. It was the attitude of heart because Jesus says they gave out of their abundance. What they gave, Jesus said, it didn't even matter to them. They have so much extra, they've got to figure out something to do with it. Jesus said, but she gave out of her livelihood. It mattered to her. It was something that actually had personal cost in her life and, and Jesus saw the attitude of the heart. Again, God doesn't care about the amount that we give. Again, we're going to talk in a few minutes. It's not how God is you know, desperately in need of our resources to be sustained. Come on, it's ludicrous. But Jesus watched. He observed. God pays attention. God looks at. He cares about. And God rewards whenever we give. That's what Paul is talking about here in verse 17. Proverbs tells us in multiple places that God honors and rewards generosity. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 9 says that he who has a generous eye will be blessed. God sees. God rewards. Paul writing to Timothy in a pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 and 19 he commands young Timothy, saying to him, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, he says, Timothy, command those who are rich in the present age not to become haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And he says, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to share, willing to give, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may hold on eternal life. So again, we, we see this pattern in the scripture whereby God says, yes, there's an account and God says, and I reward and I bless and I honor it when it takes place. Please hear me this morning when I say this. Giving is supposed to be a part of the Christian life. I actually said that out loud. 
giving is supposed to be a part of the Christian life. Now, let me say attached to that. It is certainly not the most important part. And if you watch a lot of what happens on television or you hear certain things of preachers on radios or sometimes you sit and observe someone communicating from a pulpit in a church, sometimes, unfortunately, it's misconveyed that way as if it is the most important part, you know, where you almost have to walk into a church service kind of holding your wallet as you go in because if you don't, they may, you know, get you on the way out. Or say, Listen, it's not the most important part. It's not the biggest part of our Christian life. But just like everything else, it is a part of our Christian life. It's not the biggest part. And I apologize for those who represent the Lord that communicate that. But let me also say in balance, because those of us get very turned off by that, we should never use that as an excuse and a justification to fly to the other extreme and act like somehow that we're not supposed to give or downplay giving or act like it's even taboo. Oh, we're talking about giving. That's taboo. As if somehow it's insignificant and therefore we have a justification to neglect the discipline of giving in our lives as a Christian. It's not to be neglected either. I can tell you this, and you should study it out on your own. Don't ever trust my opinion. From a summarization of passages like 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapters 9 and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that the New Testament teaches that giving is to be done in a few ways. The Bible teaches that giving is to be done, first of all, thoughtfully and purposefully. Thoughtfully and purposely. That means not impulsively and not from pressure or guilt. Oh no, here comes the bucket. Oh, I feel somebody's looking at me. No, not impulsively. Or we feel pressured or guilty that we hear about some situation or somebody's talking. That's why you should never respond when someone you feel like is putting the pressure on to give for a ministry. Giving is to be done thoughtfully, prayerfully, purposefully. Not impulsively or because we feel pressure or guilt. Giving is also the Bible teaches in those chapters to be done proportionate to our income or our prosperity. I do not believe the New Testament teaches that we are to give a certain percentage of our income. I understand the principles of tithing from the Old Testament, that they're a basis and a foundation. I I incorporate those into my personal thought and decision and the giving that we do personally as the Montemuro family, as a, a Christian family, and I take those things into consideration. But the Bible says that we're to give proportionally according to our income as God leads us and God directs us. The Bible also tells us that we are to give systematically that is with regularity and systematically, and that we are also to give generously. The truth in verse 17 of fruit abounding to our account and the rest of the Bible, the the truth simply is this, is that giving actually benefits us. It does. Now that does not mean that you should give in a greedy way. And that's the problem when people overly push prosperity type gospel teaching is it manipulates and it deceives God's people to feel, well, if I give, then I'll get, a, I'll get a lot back. So then people give out of greed. So they give, not because they want to give, it's the right thing to do, or they want to honor God or help or support missions. They give with a greedy agenda, like a business person trying to prosper their business. And God says, no, that's not, you're not supposed to give 
just to try and get back. That's not the intention. God says we are simply to just realize it benefits us. God rewards it. God benefits us when we become givers in our lives. Look what Paul says, verse 18. He goes on. He says, indeed, I have all and I abound and I am full. Again, you see Paul expressing his total contentment personally. I mean, you just look at his words in verse 18 there in the text and listen to what he's saying. He says, I have all, I abound, I'm full. It pictures a cup that is overflowing. Paul had a very satisfied and a fulfilling life. He continues to emphasize this even as he teaches about the issue of giving. And the reason Paul had a full, satisfied life is because Paul was a man who invested in others. And again, this is the same principle implied here. As Paul poured his life into others, guess what God did? God poured back into Paul's life. And the Bible teaches in Proverbs chapter 11, he who waters will be watered himself. As we pour out of our lives, investing in others and in people, God always pours back into our lives and so often he overflows our cup in such a way that we are fulfilled and satisfied as a result. And I would challenge you to evaluate and to recognize that oftentimes people who give themselves and give of themselves in whatever different ways are typically the most fulfilled and satisfied people. Typically, people who give of themselves to others in all different ways are usually very fulfilled and satisfied people because God pours back and he waters those who seek to water and to give out to others. It's just something that God does in his dynamic. So Paul says, look, again, I'm seeking fruit for you. I'm full. I abound. I don't need anything. Having received, verse 18, from Epaphroditus, the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. So Paul now specifically, verse 18, refers to that recent gift that they had sent to him from Epaphroditus and how it helped him. And notice he describes in verse 18 how God viewed their giving. The Holy Spirit here directs the words of the Apostle Paul to give us God's perspective on their giving God's perspective is that it was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, which was well-pleasing to God. Notice the Bible pictures that financial giving just like an Old Testament sacrifice that would be brought to the altar and offered to the Lord in worship. That's how the Bible pictures their giving, which I think teaches us some things. That first of all, our giving is to be done unto God. Do you notice the language there? A sacrifice, it says, last two words, to God. Our giving is to be done unto God. Now, I understand. We may say, hey, you know what? I want to support this you know, woman who's going on the mission field in Africa, so we write the check to whoever to support. But listen, our attitude and our perspective should be, no, I'm giving unto the Lord who has called this woman to you know, go and serve in the mission field or if we give to a local church. Well, I'm not giving to the church per se. I realize we can't write our check out you know, to Jesus Christ, you know, $27. Uh, but, but our gift is to be to God. It's given in worship to God, like bringing the, the sacrifice to the altar as an act of worship to God. That's, that's the view we have to have when we give. I'm giving this to God. I want to give to the Lord. 
And certainly we may channel in a place on this earth, but we're giving and should be giving unto the Lord. And secondly, notice as well from the text here that our giving is something that blesses and pleases the heart of God. It's viewed as a form of worship like an acceptable, pleasing sacrifice. So when you and I give, the Bible tells us it's actually pleasing to God. You see what the text says there? Paul says, your gift that you gave, it's well-pleasing to God. One of the reasons and one of the motivators for why we should give is to please God. It pleases God. It brings pleasure to the heart of God, just like other things that we do that brings pleasure to the heart of God. When we give, just like other Christian activities and things that we do, it brings pleasure to our God's heart. It pleases Him. It's well-pleasing to Him. And I can think of a number of different reasons why it would please Him. First of all, it acknowledges that what we possess is His. And therefore, because we acknowledge that what we possess is His, we want to honor Him with our usage of it. I think that pleases God. I think another reason it pleases God is because when we give, we indicate the value of helping others is important and sometimes more important than just further indulging ourselves. I think that pleases God when he sees that. It pleases the Lord because it reveals that we care about investing in spiritual and eternal things on this earth. It pleases God because it shows that we trust him to supply our need and therefore we don't have to, in a fearful way, hoard up our resources to make sure we have a stockpile to sustain ourselves. No, we trust God as our ultimate provider. That pleases God. It pleases God because it's denying our greedy, selfish nature and seeking to emulate God as a giver instead. Again, as I said earlier, listen, please, God is not somehow in need of our money and resources personally, nor is he dependent upon our contribution to accomplish what he desires on the earth. It's not like God is up there worried about how he's going to get by. Okay, God's, God's not in heaven going, oh no, if they don't give, I mean, I might have to sell a few angels. I might even have to lay off Michael, the archangel, if they don't give soon. That could be really, God is not doing that. He's an all-sufficient God. I don't want a God that's dependent upon me. I want a God that I can depend on. God is not in need of a resource. In fact, if and when we give, the Bible makes it very clear, God cares that we give in a right way and even for the right reason when we do. And the right way is for the glory of God and the right reasons to give is never to be seen of men or just to receive praise or accolades for what we did. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deed before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. But when you do a charitable deed, do such in secret so that your Father sees in secret and then he will reward you openly. Well, Paul, having talked about these things, then comes to verse 19 and says to them, And my God, he says, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So in relation to their giving, uh, their resources as a church and as individual Christians to help Paul the Apostle, Paul assures them, listen, and my God will now supply all your need according 
to his own riches. Whatever the Philippians had given unto Paul out of their own financial resources, God, Paul says, would be sure to adequately restore back to them from his limitless resources that he possesses. God will never be a debtor. And Paul wanted them to understand that, that they could rely on God to fully meet their needs. Now, verse 19 in Philippians chapter 4 has become a grand promise and an assurance for God to supply. But let me just say this. I think it is essential that we also note the context. Because the context of this grand Bible promise is in regards to the Philippians managing God's resources as God intends. It's in relation to Paul talking about them giving to God to help support his work. Now, this has become a famous, well-loved verse. People quote this promise with utter confidence. It's in all the Bible promise books, you know, our God shall supply our need. But I think it's proper to also view and realize the original context in which it was spoken in and first stated. And that context we see is a reference to God faithfully supplying for Christians who are honoring God with their resources and giving as they should. That's the context in which this verse is there. I'm not saying that God won't meet people's needs if circumstances are otherwise. What I'm saying is, as a pastor teacher for scriptural integrity, I bring to your attention the context in which the promise was actually stated in. It is a promise whereby God is guaranteeing the giver of his supply for all they need within their life. God is giving a comfort and assurance to those who utilize their resources by giving them forth in different ways that he promises to faithfully supply for all of our need when we do such. He's assuring us that when we give, we will not lack or suffer need, hear me, as the result of our giving. And if any one of us were to be honest, that is a natural experience when someone gives in any way. When a person gives, there's a natural attached concern. Well, if we give this, then what if we can't afford that? Or you know, if we donate in this way, or, or if we give this much, then how are we going to pay for that? Or, or, or how will we meet this need? And then what if we can't pay our bills? Or, you know, and these kind of things, which are natural concerns. Well, if, if we give this away, then how are we going to be able to take care of this? And that's a natural concern. I think that comes into anybody, if they want to be honest, into their life. Is that, that genuine concern of, let's say you decide to give X to a missionary or you know, Y to help somebody out that you see as need. And you go, oh man, well... If we do that, then are we going to be able to still pay our bills or, or do this or do that? And, and here, God's addressing that concern with an assurance. He says, look, my God, God shall supply all of your need. Listen, your resources are limited, but God's aren't, he says. According to his unlimited resources, God will make sure that when we support God's works as a church, God says, if you support my work as a local church, you're never gonna, you won't lack I will make sure I still supply your need as a congregation to operate. God says as an individual or a family, when you give and you manage resources the way I want you to, God says, I will make sure that you won't lack. I will always make sure to supply in any way God honors through his promise. It's a promise for the giving Christian who supports the Great Commission. 
It's a promise to the individual who gives of what they possess to help others with needs that we can rest assured that God will make sure that we are somehow supplied and we do not lack as the result of our giving. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 regarding giving says this, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then it says this, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things. Look, this morning... Maybe today you are facing some need in your life. Again, God shall supply your need. It doesn't say want, and it doesn't say God shall supply your greed. It's his need. And maybe you're facing need in your life. Can I encourage you? Remember, God shall supply. God shall supply for all your need. And he has many different ways and forms to do that. I love even looking throughout the New Testament. Peter was sent out. Remember when Peter owed tax money? Peter was sent out to fish. That was his job. It was work. How am I going to pay my tax bill? Jesus said, Peter, go fish. And when you fish, there'll be a coin in the first fish's mouth that you catch. Use that to go pay your tax bill. Sometimes the way God supplies our need is God says, go work. Go work. And he gives us the opportunity to work. Elijah was in the middle of a wilderness area and God miraculously dropped all food every day to him miraculously through ravens. Miraculously, God supplied his need. In the days of Elisha, there was a widow and her oil never ran out. What did God do? God stretched her resources and he made her resources just keep stretching and stretching so that they didn't run out. And she had sufficient. God always finds ways to supply for a need. And I can tell you personally, and I won't to keep you here all morning, but I can tell you I have seen God so many times in so many ways in the 20 plus years of my Christian walk and our family and seeking to be givers personally that the Lord has never, never not come through on his promise. And the ways in which he has met our need at times just creatively blows my mind because God honors his word. He honors his word. And God will supply for our need. Look what Paul concludes verse 20 saying, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Again, notice the whole concept of this makes Paul want to give glory to God. He says, verse 21, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. And all the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now take notice in these last few verses that God does not just supply physical and material need. God supplies all of our need and sometimes God supplies things like his grace to experience life. You take notice in verse 23, the last verse, Paul says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Sometimes what God supplies our need is is that we need the grace of God in our lives. Paul needed the grace of God to be sustained in his difficult circumstances and to stay content there. Paul received the grace of God to redeem the time there in prison to lead other people to Christ. Verse 22 speaks, speaks of how the grace of God gave Paul an open door and people in Caesar's household were getting saved 
because the grace of God was still working through Paul's life at that time in his life. God will supply all of our need. Maybe it's material and physical, but it may be comfort, it may be grace, and whatever. God supplies all our need. Hey, this morning, what is your need? Can I encourage you? God will supply. Seek God to supply your need. Give him the chance and watch how he creatively and even miraculously can do that. It may be practical. I found that in my life at times. There are times we're working one job. God said, here's an opportunity for some side work. Go do this side work. And he supplies the need through an additional job. Or it may be miraculous that the Lord just supplies your need in some other fantastic way. And this morning, if you are here and you're not a Christian, can I tell you something? Please hear me. You have a deep spiritual need. And the grace of Jesus Christ wants to meet that need in your life. But you've got to realize you are in poverty spiritually until your sins are forgiven and your eternal destiny has been resolved. And Jesus Christ can meet that need in your life if you receive from him what he wants to give to you.